Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, how are you doing today, little Courtney? Well, I'm doing just swell, Mr. Announcer Man. Say, little Courtney, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, golly gee, I think I want to be a doctor. Well, that's a stupid idea, Courtney. You know what you should be? A superhero. Because they get the best health benefits, and you can punch Hitler in the face any day of the week with the Justice Society of America. That's right, the JSA is just the thing for you, little pip. Yes, that's right, because your geek history lesson on the JSA is now in session. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I'm Jason Justice Inman. And I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to your Mind University. You have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or ancient team from popular culture and teach you everything you need to know about it in about an hour. And today, we are taking a look back at one of the staples of the DC Comics universe, the Justice Society of America. It's so interesting that you use the word staples because that literally is the introduction of my notes. No way. <laughs> I literally wrote one of the staples of the DC universe. That's well, interesting. great uh, minds. Well, you may be wondering why we are talking about the JSA or the Justice Society of America. That's because this week on Legends of Tomorrow on the CW, they have an episode titled The Justice Society of America. Say what? Yeah, and so they are one of the teams of the DC universe that have a long lineage. So I thought this would be the perfect time to talk about the lineage of the JSA. Of the staple. <laughs> yes. Now, this lesson was suggested by Zach Beese, B-I-S-E, and Zero Zero Jules. Cool. Yeah. So, thank you guys for suggesting those lessons of the JSA. We finally, we took your request. We're finally doing it. Yay. Yes. And because of that, we're going to hop right into the Tencent Origin. The Tencent Origin is, of course, the first part of the podcast where we teach you the basic constructs, creators, and first appearances of our topic of the day, which is, of course, the Justice Society of America. Yeah. Now, I'll just let you know, this is going to be a little bit shorter of a Tencent origin than normal because it's about a team. Yes. Okay. It was published by DC Comics. Its first appearance was in All-Star Comics number three, which was actually in the winter of 1940, created by Sheldon Meyer and Gardner Fox. Now, their original roster includes Dr. Fate, Our Dash Man, that's how his name was originally Ah. spelled, The Spectre, The Sandman, The Atom, The Flash, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. So it's very interesting that the Atom, now part of the Legends team, won't be with his uh, his compatriots. His, his original team. Yep. And traitor. Now, yep, he's a traitor. <laughs> uh, different Atom, actually, but there you go. Traitor. Uh, now on to the Meet Cute, Ashley. The Meet Cute is, of course, the part of the podcast that we took from romantic comedy writing, where we tell you the first time we met this character and how cute it was. Now, Ashley, I am very curious. <laughs> where did you first meet the JSA? I think... I think I first met the JSA in the Justice League cartoon. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but they were never in the Justice oh, League cartoon. they were in the cartoon. Some members were, and there was a little bit of a homage. There is an episode in the first yes. season where they go to a um, different Earth and they're fighting World and, War II. And it's the Justice Society 
most of the Justice Society team. Well, they're characters that look like them. They are not the Justice Society, but at the time, Bruce Timm and the group could mm-hmm. not use the Justice Society in that cartoon. But certain characters like Wildcat later appear in Justice League. Yes, that's true. Um, but the Justice Society as a team never appears in that in that cartoon. But if it's not there, like I have a really hard time pinpointing where I first encountered the Justice Society because they're such a staple of the DC universe that as soon as you do any kind of outside reading on a character, you inevitably brush up against them. The first time I read any Justice Society was in about 2013. I was working at a comic book store and my boss told me about the story where uh, Shazam, who's actually Billy Batson on the inside, a little 10-year-old boy, has a crush on Courtney, who's Stargirl, who's about 13, and mm-hmm. everyone thinks it's like super weird. Yeah, cause because he looks like he's 30. Yeah, Right, exactly. they don't know that he's like actually this yeah, little child. He, he this looks little like child. he's really old. Um, and so I was given to read those issues of the Jeff Johns JSA story. Oh, nice. Um, and that was my first introduction to reading them, which actually was not that long ago. But it's really hard for me to try and pinpoint the exact moment that they sort of came into my knowledge, my, you're, my you're, giant sphere you're, of knowledge. Your bean, as one would say. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, so what is your less convoluted introduction to the JSA? Well, back in the day, Ashley, not in the 1940s, <laughs> but in the early 90s, Walmart used to sell comic books. What? And I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast before, but specifically, I'm at the Justice Society of America because Walmart used to have these bins, and you can see them now, they're in the middle of their shopping aisles where they'll have like certain things, and they used to have these packs of comics and they would have like 10 to 20 comic books for $10. Wow. And it was just a grab bag of anything. And I can remember that one time I bought a grab bag of this because it had one of the John Byrne Man of Steel covers. Ah. It It was a cover of him opening up his shirt. Inside that pack was a miniseries called The Justice Society of America. Now, this miniseries was a cartoon miniseries written by Len Stazwiski, I think, and art by Mike Parabek. And it was basically the old heroes reacting to the modern day. I actually enjoyed it because my issue was the Dr. Midnight issue. Uh, so there you go. We'll talk a little bit about that series. But I'm a little disappointed because that was my first introduction to knowing what the hell the Justice Society of America was. And that series has never been recollected to this day. It sounds like the Get Off My Lawn series. <laughs> uh, it sort of is, but the art by Mike Parabek is so Bruce so Tim, amazing! That, yeah, that's what caught me. That's what caught my eye. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I enjoyed it. That cool. issue. Cool. So Get on that DC Comics. I yeah. know you're listening. Okay. Now on to the history 101, which is the main meat of a lesson where Professor Jason is going to delve deep into the I'm assuming convoluted history Ooh. of the Justice Society. Oh, just you wait. I'm I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Now, as we've said several times. With any longtime DC character, specifically ones that were created in the Golden Age, this history will involve lots of retcons and Woo! summarizations by me to make this lesson digestible and make sense. Cool. So if I leave something out and you come to me on Twitter or some other place and you're like, you forgot this, Jason, it's not because I forgot it. It's simply for the reason that I decided to take it out because I decided to talk about something that was more important. Yes. Okay? Um, because we're talking about a team of like 15 people. That rotates. It's a rotating that roster. Rotates. I cannot talk about every single event. It is impossible. Okay. Cool. So I'm going to take you through the JSS history up to 1985. Because then a little event in 1985 called Crisis on Infinite Earths, one of our favorites, <laughs> is going to make us... Start back at 1940 again. Oh, super great. Yes. So we are going to repeat 
the Silver Age and the Golden Age again, friends, in this lesson. A, a geek history lesson first. Yeah, we're um, going to be stuck in a time loop. How appropriate. So let's get into some fun publishing history. Here we go. Okay. The Just Society of America first appeared, as I said, in All-Star Comics number three, written by Gardner Fox and edited by Sheldon Mayer. Now, the team initially included Dr. Fate, Our Man, Spectre, Sandman, Adam, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But because some of these characters, specifically the Adam, the Flash, Green Lantern, and the Hawkman, were published by All-American publications rather than DC Comics, All-Star Comics number three holds the distinction of being the first intercompany superhero title. That is freaking yep. cool. Yep. As well as the first team up title ever. Also cool. Yes. Now, here's a basic summarization of what happens in the first appearance of JSA because I read the issue. Okay. Okay. Johnny Thunder, uh, who is a man walking around the street, uh, he has a magical thunderbolt that gets mad at him. Uh, and he doesn't realize that this thing is following him around. Okay. okay. Now, in the beginning of the first issue, he's really mad because the JSA didn't invite him to their meetings. Now, take note that I have not said why he thinks, and he never does either, why he thinks the JSA should invite him, but he's mighty pissed that he's not invited. He never explains why. Okay. Okay. After being kicked in the butt by his Thunderbolt, which he doesn't realize the Thunderbolt did to him, okay. he's kicked into supersonic stratosphere. Right. He's flying past clouds, and he talks to Dr. Fate in midair as he's soaring through the air from his butt kick. As one does. Uh, now, Dr. Fate, of course, tells him about the meeting, and because of that, Johnny crashes the meeting. Okay. And nobody in the JSA cares that he crashed the meeting anyway. Okay. All right. So there you go. Great. Basically, at the meeting, the JSA just start eating dinner and telling stories. Each one of the characters tell a solo adventure tale about themselves. I uh, see what they've done yep, there. Including the Spectre, uh, God's personal representation of vengeance, who we actually have done a geek history lesson on. We have. He tells a story about him stealing a star and fighting a dragon. Okay. Yep. But then soon they get a mission from the FBI and they all leave as the Flash looks at camera and tells you to check out the note in the last page from the editors. From the FBI. Yep. They're a government sanctioned team. Sort of. Weird. They never explain it. Cool. Comics. And that's the first issue of All Star Comics number three that launched the Justice Society of America. I'm surprised that people came back for more, but yep. that seems awesome. Yep. And before we get any further, I just want to let you know that right out of the gate, the JSA's history gets super complicated. Okay. An in-house rule explicitly laid out on the last page of All-Star Comics number five, reprinted on page 206 of All-Star Comics Archives Volume 1, required that whenever a member of the JSA got her own his or her own title, that character would then leave All-Star Comics, becoming an honorary member of the JSA. Thus, The Flash was replaced by Johnny Thunder after issue six, and Green Lantern left shortly after that for the same reason, because they got their own series. Mm -hmm. For this reason, Superman and Batman were established as already being honorary members prior to All-Star Comics number oh. three. How these heroes helped found the JSA and became honorary members was not explained until DC special number 29 in 1977. So 37 years, almost 40 years later. Sure. Uh, and Hawkman is the only member to appear in every JSA adventure in the original run of All-Star Comics. That's really cool. Only Hawkman. 
Well done, Hawkman. Yep. Uh, now, as we're going to move on, uh, as we we're going to talk a little bit more about the publishing history than the the fictional character history because I think it's kind of fascinating. Okay, and we don't talk about the Golden Age that much. Yeah, so that's true. All Star Comics number eight, published in December of nineteen forty one, featured the first appearance of Wonder Woman. Yay! And unlike the other characters who had their own titles, she was allowed to appear in the series, but only as the JSA secretary from number eleven onward. And she did not actively take part in most of the adventures until much later on in the series. Yes, that's true. Now, All-Star Comics and the JSA's Golden Age Adventures ended with issue number 57, with the title becoming All-Star Western, which Mm -hmm. might sound familiar to many DC Comics readers and featured no longer featured superheroes. Now, the explanation for the team's disappearance and the inactivity of most of its roster after the early 1950s was first given in Adventure Comics number 466 called The Defeat of the Justice Society. Cool title. This was in December of 1979. By writer and future president of DC, Paul Levitz, who explained that most of the society decided to disband and retire rather than appear in front of the Joint Un-American Activities Committee, which demanded that they unmask themselves. Wow. Now, DC, having successfully introduced new versions of several characters, Flash, Green Lantern, and several during the 1950s, Mm -hmm. DC tapped industry veteran and former Justice Society writer Gardner Fox to create a new version of the Justice Justice Society. Excuse me. Justice Society. Editor Julius Schwartz, influenced by the popularity of the Major League Baseball's National League and American League, decided to change the name of the team from Justice Society to Justice League. Cool. And then came the event that changed comics forever. In Flash number 123, The Flash of Two Worlds. Now, the Silver Age Flash meets his Golden Age counterpart, Jay Garrick, who, along with the rest of the original Justice Society, is said to inhabit an alternate universe. This historic mating became one of the classic DC comics of the Silver Age, and fan letters on the pages of the following issues were wildly enthusiastic about the revival of the original Flash, from both older fans who remember the old JSA tales, and younger fans who were like, who the hell are these new guys? (laughs) Um, Of course, they had several further meetings, of course, and then eventually in the Flash number 137, the JSA reformed. Cool. These stories set the stage for Crisis on Earth 1 and Crisis on Earth 2, a two-part tale where the Golden Age Justice Society teams up with the Silver Age Justice League to combat a team of villains from both worlds. And just for a fun fact, the following year, Earth 3 was introduced in Justice League of America number 29. And if you don't know what Earth 3 is, it's the crime Earth where all the villains, all the heroes are villains. And of course, that led to the storyline Crisis on Earth 3. Yes. So just to let you know, Crisis is a term that's been around DC since the 60s. Since before Crisis on Infinite Earth. That fact. is right. Um, as well as the annual Just League of America appearances, members of the JSA guest starred in other titles over the next several years. The Golden Age Adam in the Adam number 29 and 36, the Golden Age Green Lantern in several issues of Green Lantern, and in addition, a number of characters featured in team-up stories in The Brave and the Bold and Showcase, while the Spectre was later given a solo run in the latter that led to his own series. Mm -hmm. Almost uniquely uh, in superhero comics at the time, the JSA members during this period were portrayed as middle-aged. Yes. And often wiser versions than their younger counterparts. And originally the theme appears, the reason why this was decided that most people think, was to actually acknowledge the back history of the JSA in DC continuity. Which, again, was also a new development for comics, this idea of a multiverse. The thing that I think is kind of funny about that is um, just because of the way things have changed uh, since 
since the Silver Age and the way that uh, our art style has changed, they all, even though they're supposed to be like middle aged, they all look like old people. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It actually also by many writers was also used as just a a way to push character development. Yes, things that they would never be able to do to like Barry Allen, Hal Jordan, and Clark Kent. And also they could use their experience when those characters needed to learn a lesson. Barry, yep. uh, they could yep. come along and say, "Hey, well I've done this before." Totally. And the JSA's popularity grew after they regained their own title in All-Star Comics number 58 in February of 1976 and it saw the group return as mentors to a younger set of heroes briefly called the Super Squad until the Super Squad was reintegrated into the JSA. So, again, the (laughs) idea that the JSA teaches younger heroes was introduced in the 70s. Wait, what? Yep. Not by that recent series that happened in the late 90s. Wait, what? (laughs) Now, this run lasted until issue number 74 with a brief run in Adventure Comics, but it had three significant developments that I'm going to talk about. Okay, cool. It introduced Power Girl in All-Star Comics number 58. It chronicled the death of the Golden Age Batman in Adventure Comics number 461. Mm. And nearly 40 years after, it finally provided the JSA with an origin story, as I mentioned earlier. And also, lastly, because I like her character, the Huntress was introduced in DC Superstars number 17, which told her origin. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yep. So the Huntress has been around since the 70s as well. She's an old lady. She's the same age as Star Wars. Same year. Oh, really? Yep, 1977. That's cool. Uh, Now, the series was no worry for depicting the heroes as having aged into their 50s. Mm -hmm. And the artwork gave them grayed hairs and lined faces. It was actually very unusual to show any kind of aging for comic book heroes. Mm -hmm. Now, this depiction, of course, was a consequence of the fact that the heroes were still closely linked to the World War II era, and that actually became problematic in the 1980s when the heroes would actually kind of be in their 60s. Yeah. The explanation, though, was given for this by writer Roy Thomas in All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3 was that the team and several of their friends, not just the team, their pals, (laughs) uh, they have absorbed energy from the magical villain Ian Carkel during an adventure in the 1940s that stunts their aging process. So it's no big deal that they're 60. Comics. Yep. Comics. Now, All-Star Squadron was a series taking place in the JSA's original setting of the wartime 1940s. This, of course, then led to a spinoff of the modern-day series entitled Infinity, Inc., Cool. Which starred the children and heirs of the JSA members because they're now 60. They have kids. Oh, yes. Yep. Both series were written by JSA fan Roy Thomas and featured art by Rich Buckler, Jerry Ordway, and Todd McFarlane. Wait, the Todd McFarlane, yes, you say? Uh, the Todd McFarlane of Spawn. Ooh, yep. that's cool. That's really cool. And then we hit Crisis on Infinite Earths. Ah. Ashley, what is that? Well, there were a lot of Earths, and DC said, there's too many Earths. There should only be one Earth, and maybe two Earths. And so the Anti-Monitor ate all the Earths, and then there was only one Earth. It also could be called the original... DC reboot. Yes. The first of the greatest. Now, again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to stress this. You may be asking me, Jason, why are you not going into much detail on the Golden Age JSA Adventures? Jason, why are you not going into much detail on the Golden Age JSA Adventures? Well, that's a stupid question, Courtney. You should be a superhero. Aw, gee whiz, Mr. Announcer Man. (laughs) Nice callback. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Um, Actually, um, Crisis 
on Infinite Earths undid a bunch of their Golden Age adventures. And most of their in-continuity adventures and the continuity that I'm predicting, uh, this is not any official thing that I have been told or anything like that, but I'm just making a prediction here. Okay. Most of the JSA new stuff that I think we're going to get in Rebirth and Legends of Tomorrow, I think is going to be the post-Crisis on Infinite's continuity. Hmm. So that's why I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Now, I have to explain Christ on Infinite Earths for you because of this tale. Hooray. Uh, Even though you've already done an excellent job, I'm going to give you a little bit more just to make sure. Yes. Okay. In 1985, DC retconned many details, and primarily among those details... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Golden Age Superman, the Golden Age Batman, the Golden Age Robin, and the Golden Age Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. ceased to exist. And the Earth-1, Earth-2 dichotomy was resolved by merging the multiverse into a single universe, as you previously mentioned, Ashley. Yes. This posed a huge problem for the history of the JSA. Can't imagine why that would be. Well, because the JSA had those four characters as members. Founding members. And basically the JSA suddenly got a new retcon history and because of that I will go back to the 1940s and recount their fictional character history all the way back to the present. It's We're, we're going through a time loop, kids. We're going through a time loop. Alright, and... Action. But first, <laughs> before we hop into Rip Hunter's time machine and blast into the way, way back machine, I want to let you know about the Love is Love anthology. Ooh. Now, if you don't know about this, guys, DC Comics and IDW Publishing announced yesterday that they are teaming up. Well, not yesterday. I don't know why I'm saying yesterday. I copy this from the press release and if you're use the time machine you yesterday <laughs> um they announced very recently excuse yes. me i i copy and paste this from the press release uh sorry for my ignorance okay here we go uh dc comics and idw published announced that they are teaming up on a comics anthology the proceeds that will benefit equality florida specifically to fund the benefits of the survivors of the pulse shooting that happened earlier this year mm-hmm. now the anthology called love is love is edited by mark and draco the writer for a man Hunter, Batwoman, Wonder Woman 77, and will contain a hundred one to two page stories across 144 pages by an all-star team of comic creators, including comedian Patton Oswalt, Damon Lindelof of Lost, Phil Jimenez, 
Oliver Copiel and ourselves. Yes. yes, that's right, dear reader. We have a page in the Love is Love anthology with art and lettering by who, Ashley? Well, our art is by the amazing Nick Robles and our lettering is by the equally amazing Taylor Esposito. That's right. So if you enjoy our podcast and you've ever wondered what our t- our, our, our storytelling style would be uh, and how we, we, we show our tribute to the horrible, tragic events. And for charity, uh, you should go pick up Love is Love because Love is Love is set to drop in December and will retail for $9.99. So run to your local comic book shop or your Comicsology account and pre-order yourself a copy. Tell your comic book shop that you want a copy of the Love is Love anthology. Help out a great cause and read a great comic page by us and other pages by other great creators for a good cause. It's for a really good cause, guys. Yep. I, it's, it's one of the proudest things I've ever done. And I'm really happy that we were able to help out Mark and Draco with the Love is Love anthology. Absolutely. So you guys need to help us and those ama- the amazing people at Equality Florida out by reading it and buying it. And buying it. There you go. Now we're going to hop into the time bubble with Rip Hunter and Voyage Beyond the Veil of Time to the year of 1940. That happy, happy year. To the, post, to the post-crisis time of 1940 with the Just Society of America. Oh, man. Ashley. Jason. I don't know if you know anything about 1940. Uh, I know very limited things about 1940. You ever heard about this guy called Adolf Hitler? He was around then. Oh, yeah. He had a mustache. (laughs) Well, Chancellor Adolf Hitler acquired a powerful mystical weapon known as the Spear of Destiny. Ah, yes. The spear that supposedly, you know, pierced the the side side of Christ. Christ. With it, he intended on manipulating its power to dominate all of Europe. What a dick. And a British officer named Smythe learned of Hitler's plans and informed American President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR himself. Okay. Roosevelt, pressured by Congress to maintain an isolationist stance, because this is pre-Pearl Harbor, refused to openly involve the United States in England's war with Germany. Instead, he selected two mystery men from a top seeker dossier to use as civilian agents against Hitler. I love the phrase mystery men. (laughs) The two heroes he chose, Jay Garrick the Flash and Alan Scott the Green Lantern. Ooh, cool. Now Hitler soon captured these heroes. They didn't do so well. And he proudly displayed the captive heroes before the German masses. And he then (laughs) used the Spear of Destiny. That's not the part you should laugh at. You should laugh at this. He then used the Spear of Destiny to conjure an army of Norse Valkyrie. That's the most amazing, excuse me, the most amazing thing I've ever heard. (laughs) The Valkyrie were to act as escorts for a prototype long-range bomber that targeted Washington, D.C. But but Valkyries are Norse, they're not German. Just go with it. Okay. (laughs) Green Lantern and the Flash broke free of their bond and fought all the Valkyries. Now, at the same time, the sorcerer known as Dr. Fate, he discovered that Hitler was in possession of the Spear of Destiny. He was like, that's bad news, man. Um, (laughs) I know a thing about magical objects. Perceiving an imminent Nazi invasion of England, because he lived in England, Dr. Fate enlisted the aid of so-called other mystery men, including the Atom, Hawkman, Hourman, and the Spectre. Mm, no now, ladies, I see. No what? No ladies, I see. Dr. Fate doesn't get down with the ladies. I don't know if you know that. I guess not. Uh, he's English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All the English listeners are like shaking their fists at their iPhones right now. Hey, they can't do that. We got a, we got a bunch of bombers of Valkyries coming over. <laughs> Apparently. Okay. Now, Fate's magic teleported the heroes to the White Cliffs of Dover. Very beautiful place. It is, it is beautiful. Great place for a fight as well. Sure. Uh, where they assisted the British soldiers in fighting off the Nazi hordes. Cool. Now the sing- the Spectre, excuse me, single-handedly demolished a fleet of Nazi warships. That's dope. And with England's shores temporarily safe, temporarily, temporarily man, God. Continents. Mein Gott! Uh, <laughs> with 
England's shores, <laughs> temporarily safe me. from enemy attack, the heroes met up with the Flash and Green Lantern, who in ter- turn warned them of a bomber attack on Washington, D.C. Sure. Yep. They followed the plane back towards the United States, and Green Lantern succeeded in destroying it with his ring before it could deploy its deadly payload. Now, recognizing that American involvement in Europe was inevitable, President Roosevelt suggested that the heroes should marshal their forces into a cohesive fighting unit aimed at protecting Americans' home front. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. Yep. Thus, they became known as the Justice Society of America, and they were formed. That's awesome. Yep. That's so great. It's a great origin, right? It is a great origin. Really good origin. Uh, By early 1941, the Justice Society of America had established themselves in a secret hotel room located in Capital City. A secret hotel room? They had a whole hotel room to themselves? Okay, okay. You you, you can either spend money on war bonds towards the war or or seven hotel rooms. War bonds. (laughs) Excuse me. War bonds, baby. War bonds. Uh, Initially, the team was not directly involved in the war against the Axis threat, but they continued to serve the cause by like... Uncovering and routing out Nazi agents at home, frequently collaborating with the FBI, their ah, homies. Callback. Yep. Their homies. <laughs> <laughs> By mid-1941, the JSA roster was began to change and evolve. The Flash stepped down as team chairman uh, and took an honorary position with the team. Johnny Thunder was inducted into the ranks, followed by Dr. Midnight and Starman. Starman. Yep. On December 7th, 1941. Ashley, what happened on that day? December 7th, 1941? Yep. I don't know. The day that will live in infamy. Pearl, oh, Pearl Harbor? Pearl Harbor. I'm not American. I'm sorry. Also, uh, my parents' anniversary. I'm not American. I'm sorry. <laughs> Japan launched a massive sneak attack against the American military base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. That's sad. This single incident galvanized America's commitment towards the war. As such, President Roosevelt rechristened the Justice Society as the Justice Battalion for the duration of the war. Ooh, that's cool. Is that in the movie? Which movie? <laughs> Pearl Harbor movie. Uh, man, that movie, that Michael Bay movie would be so much better if that was. You know, right? If the Justice Society was in it. The team functioned as an extended arm of the All-Star Squadron, a massive assemblage of superheroes dedicated towards preserving the ideals of democracy. Mm. Now, they fought in the war. They did a good job. They helped in the war. That's basically it. Cool. Okay? Now, we're going to move ahead to the 1950s. Okay. In 1951, per Degaton, embarked upon a scheme to shatter the Justice Society once and for all. What a dick. Ashley. Yes. Do you know who Perdegaton is? Uh, Perdegaton is a future, a guy from the future who's a tyrant um, who was on Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> hey, good. You, that's, I mean, it's pretty much. In the comic books, he wears a black coat with a giant red D on it. Yes. He is a time traveler. And you are right. If you don't remember where Perdegaton is in Legends of Tomorrow season one, he was the little kid that Rip Hunter felt he had to kill to mm. change the timeline. That was Perdegaton. Yeah, they kind of do the would you kill baby Hitler yes, exactly. story mm-hmm. question with that. Now, operating behind the scenes, Per Degaton manipulated several high-ranking members of the federal government into believing that the JSI, JSA, not the JSA is coming soon. Oh, cool. Uh, the JSA had ties with communism. Oh, not the, not the yep. Reds. A special inquest was convened, and the JSA appeared before the House of Un-American Activities Commission, uh, Joseph McCarthy, of course, if yeah. you know that. After a lengthy hearing, the committee members demanded that the JSA members reveal their secret identities to the general public. The specter vehemently 
argued on behalf of his colleagues, citing that without their secret identities, they would become targets for enemy agents across the globe. Now, let's t- let's talk about that for a second. How amazing was it that the wrath of God showed up at a congressional hearing? That's amazing. It's also amazing that Marvel has a story called Civil War that came out a couple couple decades after that. That yep. sounds a lot like yep. this. Uh, unwilling to reveal their true faces, the Justice Society instead elected to disband. Oh, sad day. And they disappeared. Aww. And now we'll skip all the way back to the 80s okay. with the JSA right after the crisis on Infinite Earths. No, actually, what's crisis on Infinite Earths? Hey, we had to repeat so, the history. We got to repeat it again. So there's like an infinite number of DC Earths, and DC's like, there's too many Earths. We only need one Earth, but maybe two Earths. And so the Anti-Monitor eats all the Earths and poops out one universe. Yes, and in that one universe, the Just Society is around, but nobody remembers any of the gobbledygook. Yes. Okay, here we go. Now, after Christ on the Earth, <laughs> the Spectre appeared to members of the Justice Society of America and revealed that his mystical powers had been tapped into by Hitler in 1945, who used the ancient Spear of Destiny to link the fate of the Nordic gods Ragnarok and that of the universe itself. Dr. Fate then transported the team to 1945 and then to Asgard, where the Justice Society members were merged with the Nordic gods and thus changed the course of Ragnarok. What? Now, if you don't know, Ragnarok, of course, is the end of the Norse gods. Yes. Read your Norse mythology, kid. (laughs) Unfortunately, just as the Justice Society prevailed, they found themselves locked in a perpetually repeating battle from which they could not escape. Mm. That they must repeat the battle to ensure the safety of the universe. They can never stop battling. So Dr. Fate transported Power Girl and Star Spangled Kid out of Asgard and back to present time. And then he himself was transported back to the present by the Spectre. So only three people get out of this. Okay. Now, to step a little bit out of the fictional history of DC for a bit... In 1986, DC decided to write off the JSA from active continuity because they thought it was confusing. Well, they weren't wrong. And that's why this story called The Last Days of the Justice Society of America, which I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. was written. So the JSA are now stuck in this pocket dimension, and we ain't going to see them again. Well, that's what we think. But several years later in our own time, (laughs) the Spectre, with the help of Wave Rider, remember that guy? Mm -hmm. The Cosmic Cosmic guy who uh, we soon learn is another DC hero? Yes. uh, Transported the Justice Society team out of Asgard to contend with the threat of the interdimensional demon called Abraxas. That's a great name. By having Abraxas's Damon take their place in the continuing Ragnarok cycle, Wave Rider brought the Justice Society members back to the New Earth reality. Sadly, a few years after the return, um, these heroes would have to face a villain. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Called Xstand, but we're going to get that to that in a second. Okay. Because here is where the JSA were revived in that miniseries that I talked about in my Meet Cute. Yes. All right. Now we're going to skip past that. Okay. And we're going to go to... Uh, what happens to the team in the 1994 crossover known as Zero Hour Crisis in Time? Mm. Ashley, what is Zero Hour? Uh, zero Hour is the one where Hal Jordan goes crazy? Yes, it is. And, <laughs> and he teams up with a villain called Extent. And he destroys stuff. And he tries to reset time. Yes. Yeah. 
Now, most of the JSA is incapacitated or killed in this crossover. Yeah. Yep. During the battle between the Just Society and the villain Extant, the latter removes the chronal energies keeping the Just Society young. The Atom, Dr. Midnight, and Our Man die immediately. Bummer. Hawkman and Hawkgirl are separated from the rest of the Just Society, being pulled into the time stream to merge into a new Hawk God being, resulting in their deaths. Just ignore that. Hawkman is confusing in the 90s. Yes. Dr. Fate dies of the resulting aging. And Green Lantern is kept young because of the mystical effects of the Starheart because of his powers, but he loses his ring and subsequently changes his name to Sentinel. Okay. Now, the rest of the team is now too physically old to continue fighting crime, and they retire. Starman retires and passes on the Starman legacies to his son, first David, then Jack Knight, Mm -hmm. resulting in the creation of one of the new series following Zero Hour, James Robinson's Starman, which I love. awesome series. And then... The JSA would go on to form a new team and a new series written by Jeff Johns, David hey. Goyer, and James Robinson of Starman. I talked about that. But several events would lead up to that. We're oh, going to talk about that real quick dear. before we get to the official JSA series. Okay. Here we go. Now, moments before he was fated to die, our man, Rex Tyler, was visited by his android descendant from the 853rd century. This is the Our Man, the android Our Man from Grant Morrison JLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he carried the genetic markers of the Tyler family line with his bi- in his bio software and froze time long enough to show Rex Tyler a vision of the future. Okay. In his vision, he witnessed the re- reformation of the Just Society of America, uh, uniting seasoned veterans to teach aspiring hopefuls. Hey. Rex Tyler thus was able to die content with the knowledge that the legacy of the JSA would live on. The second event that led to the formation of the JSA centered around a 15-year-old boy named Jakeem Williams. Okay. Now, Jakeem is a child of prophecy, kind of like Jesus. Okay. Jakeem was born in the seventh hour of the seventh day in the seventh month of a year ending in number seven. No, not that. And as such, Jakeem, or JJ, inherited the power of the Bodenesium Thunderbolt known as Yiz, the same Thunderbolt that was bonded to Johnny Thunder decades past. Oh, Now, Yiz, if you don't know, explain what the Thunderbolt is. He is a dimensional being from the fifth dimension who is basically a genie that, that will grant your wishes. Yeah. Now, do you know who else lives in the fifth dimension? Mr. Mixel Spitalik. That guy. Yep. And then, lastly, the Justice Society discovered that their longtime teammate, Wildcat, who we have done a Geekish lesson on, True facts. possessed the ability to return from the dead. Well, that's hay like a cat. Yeah. After a fatal magic blast, Ted rose from the ground as if nothing had happened. And like the cats of ancient myth, Ted literally possesses nine lives. Yep. But if you want to learn more about his nine lives, go check out our Geek History lesson on Wildcat. And figure out maybe just how many of them he's actually been through. I'm going to guess 17. That sounds about right. But let's tar- start. Let's tart, tart, start. Let's talk right for the first time in this podcast. Honey. <laughs> and let's get to the start of the JSA, the title JSA. Yes, let's. Now named so because of Grant Morrison's well-selling JLA series. Hey, if it worked there, it'll work here. We can't fully pronounce words. Jizza. Yep. Now, the event that led to the official reformation of the Just Society of America involved the death of one of its oldest members. Bummer. Do you know who it is? Nope. Wesley Dodds, the original Sandman. 
Oh, I was going to guess Shea Garrick. Star of Sandman Mystery Theater. Yes. Uh, now, Wesley Dodds had a dream which foresaw the birth of the next inheritor of the mantle of Dr. Fate. Because Dr. Fate, remember, he got sucked away. Yes. Okay. And he's basically a magic helmet. Uh, sort of. <laughs> he knew that this child of destiny would bear the mark of the Ankh on his right arm. And that his very existence made him a target of great danger. Okay. The sorcerer known as Mordru coveted supreme power and engaged upon a bloody crusade to destroy the agents of order. Now, you talked about Dr. Fate being a helmet. Yes. The agents of order are these gods that sort of like protect the universe. Naboo, who possesses the fate of helmet, is one of the agents of order. Yes. Okay. On Mordru's journey, he slew several mystical agents, including Jared Stevens and Kid Eternity. He confronted Wesley Dodds in Mount Kalish in western Tibet and attempted to wrest the knowledge of the child's whereabouts from him. Throwing himself from the peak of the mountain, Wesley Dodds made sure that he died before he gave up the identity of the fate child. That's nice and very sad. It is very sad. Sad. Very sand. And it was, well, we're going to talk about sand here quickly because Sanderson Hawkins, the man once known as Sandy the Golden Boy, the sidekick of Wesley Dodds, yeah. learned of Dodds' death through a dream and knew that he had thus inherited as his mentor's gift for prophetic dreaming, which actually came to Wesley Dodds from Morpheus of the Neil Gaiman Sandman series. Yes, you're tall, dark, and uh, very pale Sandman. Yeah. Surviving JSA members gathered at the Dodds estate to pay their respects, and the team committed themselves towards saving the fate child. Mm-hmm. I almost said the fate of the fate child. The fate, well, you're not wrong. Yep. <laughs> the lineup consisted of seasoned heroes such as Sentinel, Jay Garrick Flash, Wonder Woman, uh, Wildcat, Wonder Woman. but this was Hippolyta Wonder Woman. Yes. Uh, Wildcat, and also included younger legacy heroes such as Starman, Nuclon, who was Infinity Eek, but now calling him Atom Smasher, the Hourman Android, a new hot girl, and a new star-spangled kid who is Courtney Simmons. Yes. Former JLA member Black Canary also joined the group in honor of her late mother. Yes. The JSA then scoured the globe in search of the child and even worked alongside Golden Age adventurers known as the Scarab and Speed Saunders and the ghost of Kent Nelson, the original Dr. Fate. Yeah, that's really cool. Yep. I like that a lot. Now, Mordru summoned the undead sons of Anubis to fight the heroes, but he could not prevent the fate child, Hector Hall, from being born. Now, Hector Hall, late of Infinity, Inc., one of the son of Hawkman Hawk Girl, had died and became trapped in the other dimensional world known as the Dreaming. Mm. The Dreaming, of course, being the home of Morpheus Sandman. Yes. His spirit reincarnated itself into an infant body, whereupon he mystically aged himself to adulthood so that he could wield the powers of Dr. Fate. Because comics. Because comics. And after a dramatic battle with Mordru, Dr. Fate trapped the sorcerer inside the amulet of Anubis. Ooh. With a new team of JSA assembled and ready for action the only decision left to be made was basically who's going to lead the team Hmm. and that's where everyone would congregate on Sanderson Hawkins Sandy now calling himself Sand who became the first chairman of the reborn JSA Mm -hmm. one of his first initiatives as chairman was to establish a permanent base of operations and he hired architect former Green Lantern John Stewart to refurbish Wesley Dodd's old family mansion in New York City as a headquarters. I think that's a really cool detail. Yep. Many people think John's, forget that John Stewart is an architect. Yes, he is. Uh, the JSA used the mansion not only as their headquarters, but as a museum commemorating the legacy of the brave men and women who helped forge the golden age of heroes. Nice. They would go on to have many adventures during this time, and I'm going to summarize a lot of it because you should just read this damn series because JSA is seriously one of the best DC comics ever published. And it's quite accessible. Yes. Uh, now, instead of talking about it, I want you to experience it. 
here's the major beats that happen. Okay. Hawkman returned from his death with a much simpler origin. Yes. Um, the Star Spangled Kid inherited the title of Stargirl and the staff uh, from Jack Knight. Yes. Black Adam joined the team for a time and then decided that JSA wasn't doing enough and invaded and conquered his home country of Korok. Yeah. Uh, or Bialya. I forget. I think it's Karak. Okay, let's go with that. And the JSA, the JSA, excuse me, and the JLA started having their annual Thanksgivings again. Oh yeah, they brought that back. Yep. And, like and, that. A, and a great issue drawn by Carlos Pacheco. Ooh, nice, nice pull. And then Infinite Crisis happened. Ashley, what's Infinite Crisis? Well, uh, Infinite Crisis is the one where Superboy gets really mad and punches a hole in which the- Superboy. Uh, Superboy Prime. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Superboy Prime gets really mad, pun- Ooh, punches a hole in the universe, just like he punches a hole through our audio, and uh, resets everything. All right. Um, so basically, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman took a year off. Yes. And when they came back, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman were trying to convince uh, Jay Garrick Flash, Alan Scott Green Lantern, and Wildcat to reform the JSA because of their importance in training the next generation of heroes. So they were like, yeah, sure. The new JSA <laughs> consists of Liberty Bell, Jesse Quick, yes, Our Man, Mister Terrific, Power Girl, Doctor Midnight, Sand, Star Girl, and new members: Amazing Man, Maxine Hunkel, Judo Master, uh, the Starman from the Thirty First Century, mm-hmm. Damage, very famous '90s characters, Nate Haywood, who would become the new Citizen Steel, David Reed, and Tom Bronson. Wow. This JSA would also encounter the Superman of Earth-22. Now, Ashley, do you know what Earth-22 is? Because after Infinite Crisis, DC reformed the multiverse, and they said that there were only 50, instead of an infinite Earth, there's only 52. Yes. So Earth-22, the Superman from Earth-22 shows up. Do you know what that Earth is? I don't, but I could guess... Go ahead and guess. Is it the 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 is it the Nazi Superman? It is not the Nazi Superman. Oh, okay. I don't know. The Superman of Earth twenty two is the Superman from Kingdom Come. Oh, I forget that Kingdom Come has its own yes. Earth. That's cool. Yes, and he is the Superman that if you've ever read the storyline of Kingdom Come, there's a giant nuclear battle in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the super. He disappears at that moment in the story. Yeah. So the idea is that that in Kingdom Come, that Superman during that nuclear blast gets, gets shunted through the multiverse and spends quite a lot of time here, and then goes back to that exact point. Yeah. All right, but we're gonna talk about what he did with the JSA. Okay. Now, the JSA accepted him into their team. I mean, why not? uh, Until finding a way for him to return to his reality. And the arrival of the alternate Superman started the JSA's encounter with the old god, Gog, who was the well-intended but misguided efforts of helping people in his own ways, even healing some members of the JSA with their own problems. Among them was David Reed. Okay. Who was killed and then resurrected by Gog as Magog. Now, oh. if you've ever read Kingdom Come, you know that Magog is the big villain, the guy yeah. with the horns. Uh, this caused a split within the JSA, which Hawkman, Magog, damaged Tom Bronson, Amazing Man, Judo Master, and Nate Haywood taking Gog's side. Now, if you're wondering who this Gog guy is, he's explained as that he is a god of the third world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you heard of Dark Side, Orion, uh, All Father, they are the gods of the fourth, fourth world. world. Gog is a god of the third world. Okay. 
Ultimately, the JSA soon learned of Gog's true intentions, as his presence threatened to kill the Earth and convince their splintered members into helping them battle the old god, cutting off his head in the process. Superman and Starman took Gog's still-living head to the Source Wall, the edge of the universe, their universe, that Earth in their multiverse. Yep. Where it is embedded for eternity. And afterward... The after Ward, I can't talk today. The Superman of Earth 22 was able to return back to his home reality. Cool. And this leads to one of the best endings to a storyline that I have ever read in my entire life, completely painted in Alex Ross art. Ooh, high praise. At the time, Alex Ross was painting all the covers for, for at this time, they renamed the title to the Justice Society of America. Yeah. And anytime they showed any flashback to the Kingdom Come world, he would do the panel. So it would go from oh, hand-drawn cool. to painted. Wow. They even did a flashback book where it was all painted. Um, this ending, when he returns to his Earth, is fully painted. And it sees this Superman live for a thousand years. And see, he sees the heroes of the DC Universe make the world a better place after Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And he watches in the year 3100 as the legion of superheroes emerge from their rocket and he's hiding in a crowd and he smiles oh hidden from the crowd that's and so nice that's the ending of the kingdom come superman i think it's one of the best endings to a comic book i have ever read wow it's so it's so uh, i'll show it to you after we get off mic please do <laughs> okay um and then that's all for the JSA until the New 52 happened. Ashley, what's the New 52? So in 2000, uh, DC was like, there's too many years. 2011. That's what I said. Oh, I thought you said 2000. Sorry. Oh, no. 2011. 2011 years. DC was like, this is really convoluted. So they reset their universe back to all your major superheroes had been around for about five years. Everybody got over designed costumes and a new continuity began. Yes. And in the new 52, this new DC reboot, the JSA don't appear. Mm-hmm. There is no team called the Justice Society of America. Most of the characters of the JSA appear in an awesome book called Earth 2, written by James Robinson, but they never call themselves the JSA. They never give themselves a team name. They are simply called by the people of their Earth Wonders. Yes, but but I'll, if you're looking for your Alan Scott... Well, I'll go, I'm, I'm going to give them a little taste of it. Oh, okay. Here sure, we sure. go. Uh, under James Robinson, Earth, the Earth 2 title featured new versions of the classic Justice Society members, including a young, unmarried Jay Garrick. They get all hot and stuff. Uh-huh. A gay version of Alan Scott. Woo! An African-American version of Hawkgirl. And a version of the Atom who was a soldier, but possessed power similar to his protege, Atom Smasher. It's cool. Now, this series rever- revolved and reverbed around the planet Earth 2 that had been devastated by an invasion from Apocalypse led by Steppenwolf, who's going to be the villain of Justice League, that ended with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman dead, and Power Girl and Robin, uh, Helena Wayne, aka the Hunters, exiled to the prime Earth of the New 52. Yep. It's a good book. It changes the characters a lot. I really like it, but I feel that Earth 2 deserves its own geek history lesson. It definitely does. And does not deserve to be shunted in the Justice Society of America lesson. But I do think it's worth noting that um, if you are interested in where you can find more of those characters, that is a good place to start. Now, it has been heavily hinted, and we have seen hints of this, that the JSA will soon return in DC Rebirth, but that's all we have in comic books. Now on to other media. The Justice Society of America... Have appeared in live action before, Ashley. 
Really? They appeared in season nine of Smallville during oh, a two-hour oh. two-hour television movie called Absolute Justice. The episode was written by Jeff Johns. Yes. Uh, There's this, a painting. Yes. This episode featured JSA members Hawkman, played by Michael Shanks, Dr. Fate, played by Brent State, and Stargirl, played by Britt Irvin. And it's probably the best episode of Smallville ever. Now, you mentioned this painting. In the episode, Clark, who is not yet Superman, but wearing a black Superman shirt, doesn't make sense, just go with it, he walks <laughs> He walks into the Brownstone Mansion, and he sees a painting of the Justice Society of America. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned a painting. Why did you mention the painting? Well, because that painting currently, at the time of this recording, exists in the Earth 2 Sherman Oaks location comic book shop uh, where I used to work. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, and, like I said, in Sherman Oaks. Uh, you can go in there. Uh, you can look at it hanging on the wall. You can offer to buy it, and they will tell you, no, it is not for sale. Yes. But and, it is the actual painting from the show. Yeah, and dear, dear listeners, uh, when I first moved to L.A., one of my very first stops was to go to Earth 2 Comics because I knew that painting was there. It's really cool. But like I said, um, if you've never watched Smallville before, Absolute Justice can kind of be watched on its own. If you have a basic understanding yeah. of the characters. Yeah, yeah. As long as you basically know who everybody is, it's not really bogged down by Smallville continuity. Um, it's on iTunes. You can buy it. Again, it's probably the best episode of Smallville ever. Cool. So, And it's a fun episode. Nice. Uh, the JSA also appeared all over Batman, the Brave and the Bold cartoon series. Oh, yeah. And we're going to see them all over Legends of Tomorrow. And that's it for the JSA. So let's move on to recommended reading. And recommended reading is, of course, where we recommend that you read stuff. And if you want to find this and a complete list of our entire history, you can go to geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading. We have cool little Amazon widgets that will take you right to the source. You can buy them and a little bit comes back our way to keep our Mind University all up and running. That's right. And we appreciate all of you that do so. Ashley, remember very early on in our Meet Cute when I talked about there was this Just Society of America by Mike Paraback. It's this miniseries. It's really cool. It's never been collected. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started this lesson, it hadn't been collected. When I finished this lesson, they're finally collecting it. Wait, what? So my number <laughs> one choice for your JSA recommended reading is Justice Society of America, the complete 1992 series. They are collecting it. Comes out in December. Has all 12 issues. Dude, that never happens. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and the, and so here's a little summarization of that. The original Justice Society of America lineup uh, uh, returns from their decades-long exile in a secret dimension. However, life back in the DC universe isn't the same. New heroes new villains and new challenges abound. I am buying this book the day it comes out. I have been waiting years for this book. Be like Professor Jason and order this book. Yes. Uh, Next, my next choice is the JSA Omnibus Volume 1. This is the start of the Jeff Johns David Goyer. This starts off with the Wesley Dodd series. They have collected all of JSA in three omnibuys. They are very expensive, but as of right now, they're the easiest way to read JSA because they haven't reprinted JSA in in a soft like they're doing with JLA right now. For quite a while, yeah. Um, but I have all of them and I love them, so they're great. And then lastly, there, my last choice is the Just Society of America, a celebration of 75 years. This is one of those, those hardcovers. Great collection. DC's been doing, yeah, all these hardcovers to celebrate their 70th anniversary. One of them is the Just Society of America. It collects a bunch of the best stories, including All Star Comics number three. So if you want to see, oh man, if you want to see this Thunderbolt kick Johnny Thunder into the air and he have a conversation in midair with Doctor Fate, that's the book you got to get. Awesome. All right, and now. 
now on to a very, very brief discussion because we're running a little bit long on this episode. All right. Ashley, I know uh, you're not the great biggest expert on the Just Society of America, but you oh, that's are. true. But you are now because you listen to this podcast. I am. I can, I can tell my friends at cocktail parties. I have a short question for you. Okay. Is the Just Society of America necessary or useful in a universe that already has the Justice League? Short answer is, of course, no. They're, they're not. It's the same thing. However, I think the way that you make it utilitarian is by doing one of two things. DC's done both in the past. I think having them as mentors is a great choice. And we all know, if, if you've been a Geek History Lesson before, I love legacy characters. Yep. So for me, this is like the ideal use of these mm. characters. You can make them older. I'm totally cool with that. You can make them young and sexy. I'm also totally cool with that. But I think having them as a mentor role, I think is a really interesting way. And it's a great way to merge them with a a team like the Teen Titans and kind of give them all something to do and give all those characters a way to come up and kind of graduate to the Justice League, either temporarily or as the story demands it. I also think that making the Earth 2 or the Earth 32 team uh, known as the Justice Society instead of the Justice League is also an interesting way to preserve the legacy of that team. But if you're just going like... This is Earth One or Earth Prime or however you want to look at it. And we have the Justice League. There's no need to have a Justice Society. Now, you can also make the argument, well, then there's no need to have a Justice League International. Sure, then maybe the Justice or Society... Or Justice League Canada. Exactly. Then maybe the <laughs> Justice Society, like, patrols Australia. I don't know. I'd be down for that, team. Uh, so Justice I. League Outback? Oh, man. Oh, uh, copyright God. Geek History Lesson, DC Comics, call us anytime. <laughs> That's not a helmet, mate. This is a helmet. Awesome. Uh, that's not a spear. This is a spear. Uh, I see you've played superhero knifey spoony before. <laughs> um, but on the surface of it, no, they're not. Um, okay. I, I don't. I don't care how much you love those characters. I I, I thought it was a question that that needed to be asked. I think it's a great question. So let's move on into the teaching tweet, the last section of our podcast, where in 140 characters or less, Professor Jason will sum up his lesson for us. The Justice Society of America. The literal definition of fighting supervillains the old school way. Awesome. (laughs) That's it. And that is it for this Justice Society very deep into the history of the DC Universe. I learned some things. Professor Jason, I thought you broke that down in a very digestible way. Oh, my God. I applaud you. This was a tough one to write. I will tell you, this was a tough one to research. Tough but enjoyable. Uh, well, it became so much sweet at the end when I when I when I when I went looking for for my recommended reading, and I learned that that Mike Paraback Justice Society. I was so happy. Nice. Uh, I was so happy. I learned a lot of, there's a lot of cool DC books coming out in the next couple of months. I'm telling you, whoo, nice. they're, they're collecting a lot of cool 90s stuff. Uh, and, but that doesn't matter because if you want to collect stuff like podcasts, you should download Geek History Lesson, guys. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Make sure you subscribe. And guys, also on each of those sites, especially iTunes, you can review this podcast. And if you do, we're going to read it on the show. Heck yeah. Just like Juan G3. They wrote, great show that fills in the blank. Four stars, not five. Only four? Okay. Bummer. Um, found the hosts as they were guests on Collider Video Heroes. Like their opinions, so I searched out the podcast, and now I'm hooked. Well, well, thank you, John G3. So be like John G3. Go write, write us a review on iTunes because it helps our podcast grow, and it's the Justice Society of America way. Exactly. Uh, Ashley, where can they suggest episodes uh, for us to do in the future like our great 
TAs for this lesson, Zach Beast and Zero Zero Jules. Well, you can do that in a couple of different places. You can do that at geekhistorylesson.com and facebook.com slash geekhistorylesson. There's three or four different ways to contact us in both of those places. Yeah, and don't forget to support us as well on Patreon, uh, on patreon.com slash jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N, because you get Geek History Lesson Extra, the exclusive Patreon podcast, where this week we're going to be talking about our favorite JSA member and how and if we think we will ever see them in the DC Extended Universe. Sounds like it's going to be a fun episode. If you want to complain to us about any part of the 1940s, you can do that for me on Twitter at Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N. You can do that for Ashley on Twitter at Ashley V. Robinson. And if you're ever bored, stop by the YouTube.com slash Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N, because we got all kinds of cool stuff, and we're pushing towards 50,000 subscribers Heck by the end yeah. of the year. A lot of cool videos coming that way, so go check us out over there. I'm Jason Justice Inman. I am Ashley Victoria. Robinson and Professor Jason, please take us out the old-fashioned way. Don't forget, kids, you need to drink your milk of magnesium, buy your war bonds, and make sure you watch plenty of baseball games, because that's the only way that we can make sure that the Kaiser never wins. Bye-bye.